Well, it's a privilege and opportunity for me to open God's word to us again from Hebrews chapter 13. And so I'd invite you to turn there. And if you're like me, you need some good news. Do you not? I need good news. There's a lot of bad news, but I want us to hear some good news from the text of God's word. And where we find ourselves this morning in the way that the exposition is just falling open is verses 20 and 21, which are the benediction of the book of Hebrews. A benediction is to say a blessing. And so this is a blessing said by the author of Hebrews, and it's a blessing for the church 2,000 years ago. It's a blessing for the church today in the 21st century. 2,000 years later, we need gospel themes. There's a lot of things that are bad news out there, and then there is good news. And I want to read some good news from verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, it's uh, no understatement to say that society these days is pretty fragile and tenuous and volatile. And it is something that we're all aware of, something that we're all feeling, we're all participating in. There are peaceful protests, there's violent protests, there's riots, looting, people that have been endangered, people killed, injured. The sensitivity about What's said about any of that is also at an all-time high, is it not? Everything is cataloged. Everything is recorded. Everything is scrutinized. Everything. Everything everyone says about anything and everything that's going on. What should be more intimidating to any of us saying anything about everything that's going on is the scrutiny of heaven. God's scrutiny is higher than anything that man scrutinizes. God's log in heaven is recording everything that we're saying all of the time. He's the one that not only knows what we say, but he also knows why we say it. He's the one who is inside our motivations in terms of his omniscience and scrutiny and knowledge. And those annals in heaven are far more intimidating than anything here on earth, but the word of God is our guide and rule, right? The word of God is what gives us discernment. The word of God is what tells us what is yes and amen and what is true and what we should say. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 10, Paul repeated a phrase that I'll repeat to you. It's all things are lawful or lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable or helpful. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says that I will not be enslaved by anything. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And then he says, but not all things build up. 
So there's discernment issues in terms of why you say what you say and when you would say anything. Well, I don't want to stand here behind this pulpit and speculate as to how we got here in our society and some of the issues and some of the bad news that we watch and why it's here and why God has it here right now for us in his providence and in his plan, why we feel the way we feel or, or live in our even city in the way we're living. All these things are part of what he has allowed And I don't want to really speculate as to why, because I don't know for certain anything any more than you do. We don't even know where things are going, really. We can speculate, we can predict, but I don't see it as my place or my role or even my skill set to do any of those things. I'm not one of those media influencers who's trying to, you know, understand and, and make predictions about the culture. My role and skill set and gifting is to not be that kind of specialist or professional, but my role is to open the word of God. My role isn't to focus on the bad news, but to focus on what? The good news. The good news. That's what I want to do. Bad news, I'm going to define it for you as this. Circumstances we cannot know the full meaning of with certainty and what the implications are for these circumstances for our lives. However, here's good news, bad news versus good news. Good news from where I'm coming from is truths and promises Christians know with, watch this, full clarity and full certainty. We know the meanings of these truths and the implications that they have for our lives. That's what a Christian has. That's the treasure trove that you have as a believer. You have speculative things. You have things that are perhaps engaging and interesting and scary to think about. Or you also have things that you don't have to speculate about. Things that are guaranteed. Things that are truths. Things that are spiritually confirmed in your heart as axiomatically true. They're going to happen. You have these things. These are the possessions of the Christian. And within this benediction, we have these things. There's other benedictions in Scripture that magnify broad sweeping truths that encompass all of life. Numbers 6, 24 and 25. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace said Moses to the Israelites. Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then the most popular doxology in scripture, Jude 1, 24 and 25, the Lord, now him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless in his presence of his glory with great joy. The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority for all time and forever. Well, this is another benediction, and this is a beautiful one, and it's themed in a way that I want you to understand that it is very applicable. These themes are very applicable because this benediction is about the power of God that he gives you to live out gospel truth. This is about the power of God. You can see it in verse 21. You're being equipped by God's power for every good, for everything that's good in life. God gives you power to live it, that you may do his will, working in us. 
So that's what we're talking about this morning for you. How do you harvest or open up the channel in your life to God's power in and through you to live out his will, which is all saturated with these themes of gospel truth, this benediction. How do you live out truths and promises? Well, we do it in the power that we need. It was never enough just to learn about Jesus. It's never enough just to see what he did. His example is so important to us. It is a template to follow, but we need the power of God to follow in Jesus's footsteps. Do we not? Do we still amen in this um, season? Yes, yes, we need to. Let's amen louder because there's only a hundred of us in the room. Amen. There we go. We know things with certainty. Psalm 119, the author of Psalm 119 says, I love your law. I know your law. It makes me wiser than the aged. I have more understanding than my teachers, wiser than my enemies. It's amazing. We know truth. We know things. Good news is why we can face anything in life. And let me just tell you this as sort of a forethought here. This is news that only applies to believers, only for Christians. The world wants good news, and they largely are seeking it, and they don't even know they're seeking it. They seek common grace good news all the time, don't they? A person who's naturally minded, not a believer, but wants some hope, they want health. They're doing everything they can to live as long as they can. They are seeking temporal happiness. They're seeking temporal love. They want to be understood. They want to be secure financially. They want to be functional. They want to have an identity. They want to be part of a team, right? You want to have a job. You want to have a title. You want to have some purpose in your life. You want to have the strength to pull it off. And then you want to know, as the trend is saying, you want to know your why. You want to know how to be inspired to keep doing what you believe you're called to do. Well, these common grace desires aren't bad. It's good to want these things, but they're not all that we can have because in Christ, we have common grace desires and then we have greater desires. They're all fulfilled in the Lord. Not just, you know, health in this life, but eternal life, for instance. Not just significance in terms of a job or career, but significance in terms of I am in Christ. I have an identity. Not just inspiration where I'm inspired to fulfill a task or earn a living wage or or be a good dad, but inspired by the glory of God in that. Inspired by knowing God's greater plan and knowing he's all about it. Not just inspired by feeling loved and secure and significant in a family relationship or a friendship, but love significant and a relationship that's ensconced in a shepherd who knows you and loves you personally. Things go 2.0, 3.0, or even higher when you're in Christ. So the common grace aspirations are taken to another level in this benediction. What do we have? What do we have that God has given us in the Lord that's good news? You need to hear it. There's a lot of bad news, right? Don't we need some good news? Well, let me give you a first point of good news, and that is God has solved your deepest problem. You got problems? Yeah, we all got problems, right? Well, guess what? God has solved your deepest problem. And that begins with how God is titled in verse 20. This is God the Father. Now may the God of peace, you can stop there. 
God is called the God of peace. God has made peace. What does that mean? There's a lot of unrest in our world. A lot of people are looking for peace right now. What is the reference here to God being the God of peace? Jesus is also called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, 6. It's a timely word for us to think about a God who loves peace, Irene in the Greek, Theos, God of peace. What does that mean? Well, God will ultimately bring peace to our world. He'll bring his enemies to their knees. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every knee Christian and unbeliever will bow and confess that he is Lord. Jesus will bring a two-edged sword and wipe out his enemies when the new heavens and the new earth are created. So everything will be made right in God's great plan and governance here. But what we're talking about here is not even that. This is not just a mere political peace what common grace people are looking for. People are looking for political peace and some rest, right? Well, the rest and peace that you receive as a believer is a higher peace, no matter what is going on politically, right? This is the Prince of Peace who's met our need in our hearts, where we were at enmity with God, we were enemies of the Lord, and the Lord intervened and made peace with us through his cross, through the Son, We've been forgiven by grace. We're right with God. Things are set anew. We have peace. Where do we find this? Well, the connection to the title God of Peace is the antecedent phrase right there in verse 20. Who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. When Jesus was raised from death, guess what? It means that your sin problem was satisfied by Jesus's death. Jesus died for sin. Sin always brings death. When he died, had he stayed dead, things would not be reconciled in your life. The whole point of the God of peace raising Jesus from death was to vindicate the reality that you are right with God. Do you believe Jesus has risen from death? Do you believe that? What an uncommon thought to think in a world that by and large doesn't believe in Jesus, the Lord Jesus of the Bible, and that he's raised from death. If you believe that Jesus died and rose, you're at peace with God in your heart, no matter what else is going on on the outside. That's what's going on on the inside. It's the significance of the resurrection. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus took his life up again. He raised himself from the dead, and the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. It's amazing. It's a miracle, but it's so significant because sin in our world is the problem. What's gone wrong? What's happening? What is the seed of what's wrong in our world? Well, it all traces back to capital S, capital I. In capital N. I can't tell you the whys and wherefores with breakdowns in our country and relationships and the dynamics that are tenuous and nerve-wracking. I can't tell you all the whys and wherefores in terms of the health and, you know, the virus and things that are happening there and where that's headed. But I can tell you a, the, the cause with biblical certainty for all of this. And that all goes back to Genesis 3. At the fall, as soon as sin was injected like a true virus into the world, and when that happened, 
Everything was contaminated. And so you have wars, you have rumors of wars, you have, as Romans 8 puts it, a universe that's groaning to be made right again. And, and it's, it's aching and, and there's earthquakes and dynamics that are happening all of the time that need to be made right. Well, sin is the cause of that. And then there's moral sin where people do wrong and think wrong and act wrong and speak wrong. And this sin dynamic is the cause for unrest. But I can tell you this, if you have peace with God, you can face it. You can face it all. You have a safe haven. You have shelter through the storm. The resurrection gives us hope, and it's, it's all through the book of Hebrews. It's explicitly stated once here, but um, scholars will say, well, there's no mention of the resurrection but one time, but really it's mentioned all through Hebrews when Jesus was um, cited as, as praying at Gethsemane in Hebrews 5, 7, it says he offered loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. He was alluding to the fact that he was going to be raised. Six, Hebrews six twenty. he's the forerunner of Melchizedek, who, would, who is the high priest who would live forever. Jesus lives forever. Hebrews seven sixteen. he has an, an indestructible Life, it says. So God's the ultimate peacemaker, and that's really, really good news. What's the biggest problem? Is it riots? Is it race? Is it hatred? Is it the pandemic? It's sin. It's sin. Make no mistake. If you have the understanding for what's at the ground floor, for what's going on, then you have hope because you know that sin has been defeated and Jesus rose from death to prove it. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's everything. Guess what? The resurrection means that Jesus won. He won, right? Psalm 110, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 1.3, he's made purification for our sins. Hebrews 1.13, he sits at the right hand. He makes his enemies a footstool. Hebrews 8.1, he's a high priest seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He offered the single sacrifice for sin. Hebrews 10.12, this is all pointing to Jesus at the right hand of the Father. That all implies he rose. And guess what? He ever lives to make intercession for you. Are you alone in this world right now? Are you all alone? No. Jesus rose and he's with you. He's with you. He has made peace between you and God vertically. Two ways, vertically. And then he's made you at peace with man. Guess what? Because of the resurrection, because Jesus lives and he lives in you, you can love anyone. Barriers drop right? Jesus loves everyone. You get to love everyone. You get to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You get to have that kind of joy-filled affection for someone who hates you or someone who loves you. (laughs) It's amazing. That's what Jesus did. You are reconciled this way and you're reconciled this way with everyone. You can love them. You can love everyone. Because the Lord Jesus gives that to us. Isn't it amazing? This is what you have. This is what you have. These are the broad benediction, gospel, truths, and principles, and promises. This is what you have. Don't deny what you have to yourself. It's an amazing thing. Guess what else you have? You have intimacy. 
Not only has God solved your greatest problem, point two, God meets you as a shepherd. This is the end of verse 20. Who was raised from death? The Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. The first title is God is a God of peace. The second title here for God in the second person of the Trinity is Jesus as your shepherd. He's the great shepherd, Megon in the original language. He's a mega shepherd. He's the greatest shepherd of your life. This is what makes God distinct from all other lesser false gods, made up gods. The true God is one who wants to know you personally. All other gods are not gods of intimacy, gods of knowledge. They, they're distant. But the Bible puts beautifully together God's holiness with God's presence and intimacy and care. He knows you. He knows you by name. He knows what's going on in your mind right now. He knows why you're here. He knows your motivations. He knows your struggles. He knows your deepest needs. And he's meeting them irrespective of everything else that's going on. God is our shepherd who laid down his life for his John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. This is the test class. This is the question. Here we go. But all right, greater love has no one than this, but someone laid down his life for his what? What class? This is amazing to have 100 people. It's awesome. Friends. Can you believe it? God calls you friends, intimate friends. I remember the story of Philemon Onesimus. He fled his master. He came back and Paul said, look, Philemon, receive Onesimus back as a true brother in the Lord, a friend. We're no longer distant from God like a slave master relationship. We are friends, co-equal heirs. We're called saints. We're called children. We're called members of a vineyard. We're called the body of Christ. We're called living stones. We're called temples of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? We're called friends. And we, we, are, we are called sheep. <laughs> no matter what title you, you give yourself from the Bible, we're always going to be sheep. We're called to follow the shepherd whom loves us and knows us. We're not like the hireling of John 10. The hired hand who's not a shepherd, who does not own his sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Verse 13, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, here's what we have. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. That's eternal life, knowing the Lord. That's what you have Our sin problem is gone, eradicated. And guess what? You have a great shepherd. We were straying like sheep, and now we've returned to the shepherd. 1 Peter 2.25, who oversees our souls. We're always sheep. We're always sheep. And Jesus was the ultimate, if you see verse 20, the ultimate sacrificial lamb who bought us by his blood and creates what is like a marriage picture here of eternal covenant. He's eternally promised himself to you. Do you feel that? Do you believe that? He is your shepherd. And all of this is vindicated and on full display as the greatest power in the entire, power display in the entire universe being the resurrection. Jesus rose to seal this covenant. Colossians 1.20 
to reconcile himself to all things, whether heaven or earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Well, this same power is given to all of us to do and fulfill his will. What power? The power that rose Jesus from death is the power that's given here in verse 21 for you to live the Christian life. That's super important to understand. The same power that rose Jesus is the same power that's given to you by God to live the Christian life. How does this work? Well, look at verse 21. It says, equip you with every good that you may do his will. The word equip is katertidzo. It's the same word in the original language for mending nets, the fishing nets being mended. We know that in Alaska where nets need to be mended and put back together. They're dysfunctional and then they're made super functional and strong. A bone that's broken, that's set, ultimately mends. It's the same word katertidzo. It's made stronger than it was before. You once were lost and now you see you were broken and you have been put in repair. You've been made a new creation in Christ. He's put you back together again with his power, with resurrection power. He brought you to life and he gives you this power to live the Christian life. Let me just tell you this. We're not sufficient in and of ourselves. Second Corinthians 3 says that, 3, 5. What is the secret to living the Christian life, the key? And I don't mean some mystical knowledge out there. Just what does the Bible tell us in terms of living the Christian life? The sooner you understand this principle that I'm going to give you, the better off you'll be. And without understanding this principle, it really is difficult to live the Christian life. So let me just give to you what I think kind of in a distilled fashion, the key to living the Christian life. It's simply this. It's to understand that God has planned out your entire life beginning to end. And especially when you understand your life beginning as a new creature in Christ, just sort of mark that day from that day forward when you were saved, God has planned good things for you to do for him, for his glory. Different things in your life, hard things, difficult things, what you thought were impossible things or incredibly, exceedingly higher things that you ever, than you could have ever imagined for yourself are happening to you as all part of God's perfect plan in your life for his glory. The sooner you understand that you're on a path, that you are following God's will, and you're making decisions in that, but God is just leading you along through your decision matrix the sooner you understand that there are good things that he has planned for you to do that you do for his glory, the sooner you will live the Christian life in his strength and in his power in joy. What does that look like? Well, you know, Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship. It is, in Ephesians 2.9, it says we're saved by grace. So that's salvation. And then we are his workmanship. We are his poema. We're his poetry. That's what the God's will looks like. It looks like his poetry that he's written beforehand, that you're living out. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You believe there's good works ahead? So you walk. Something's coming down the road, I'm gonna walk. Wait, oh, this was God's will. I had no idea. It's amazing. 
Oh, this was really hard. Oh, this is why I had to go through what was so hard. It's amazing. What's next? What's next? I compare, I was walking over this morning and praying about the message and the Lord sort of struck me with a illustration. I'll just share it now. It's, have you ever been on a scavenger hunt as a kid where you're opening up notes or, or as an adult and it's the next thing and it tells you where to go next? Well, I set up a scavenger hunt for Judy at our 20th wedding anniversary time at, at the Homer Spit. I, I, you know, I spare no expense. We go to the Spit. Now, uh, I was borrowing an RV and I set out notes all around the RV with, you know, for her to open up one at a time each representing a year of our life and a memory that struck me as profound, sort of categorizing the joys of our marriage or cataloging them. And, you know, my goal is just to get her to get misty-eyed or maybe cry a little bit because she's not a, like a crier. And so by, by note 20, when she had gone, you know, into the steering wheel, under this, into the glove box, it was Dwayne Bacher's RV, you know, into the, the bathroom, under a tire, you know, by... But by the time I got her all around the RV, there was a little bit of some tears and some emotion there. And she said this was one of the most special experiences of her life. It's amazing. Because she was opening up and remembering how the Lord had worked in her life, in joy, throughout all those years, and just filled her heart. That's the Christian life. God is just giving us another scavenger hunt note to say, oh, that's a good thing by your power that I was supposed to survive or do or bless or be in the power of God. This is how we please the Lord. He equips us for every good. He put us back together so that we could do good things according to his will, doing his will by the power of God, verse 21, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Well, this brings us to our final point, why this all matters. How are we inspired to live this scavenger hunt? Well, we do it all to the glory of God. Not only is our deepest need met, Not only do we have an intimate shepherd, not only do we have the power to follow and fulfill his will, but lastly, we're inspired by his glory. God inspires you with his glory. We have one cause in life, one high cause, and that is to give God glory. Do you understand that? I think as children, sometimes they get shortchanged because They don't have the full explanation of God's glory. And if you don't explain living for the glory of God well, you can really burden a child. And so, children, I want you to listen up and be unburdened by the glory of God. The glory of God is the highest standard, right? The highest standard of life. When you're trying to please the Lord, it's a high and lofty goal. And If parents say to children or grandparents say to children or you even as an adult, if you feel the weight of that and you're like, man, I always fall short. I'm always not measuring up. And if you live in a way where you feel guilty of that, that's not living by the power of the spirit. That's living by the flesh. That's living by your own strength, not by God's power and his strength for his glory. We have to, with humble dependence, open our hearts and our minds in a resignation to God's will and God's glory and say, God, take me along the path. Fill me with your spirit. Give me your power to understand the next good thing that I'm supposed to do and let me do it by your strength and not my own for your glory. And you go from that to the next to the next. And when you're inspired by that, 
or you're doing all to the glory of God by his power, not your own, then you're fulfilled, then you're satisfied. And that's what this is talking about, verse 21. We're doing things that are pleasing in his sight through your flesh? No, through Jesus Christ. We do it through him, to whom be glory forever and ever. There was a movie scene that was a picture of a Roman general who was standing before his men, preparing them for battle. It was General Maximus, and he had his cavalrymen, and he was sending them into battle. And these are the words that are portrayed in the movie. It says, we, what we do in life echoes in eternity. If you find yourself alone riding in green fields with sun on your face, do not be troubled, for you are already in paradise. You're already dead. In the movie, they kind of chuckle at that. Because Roman soldiers know something. They know when they sign up to be a Roman soldier and are confirmed to be a Roman soldier, they really are already dead. They've already given their life to the cause. Well, if you want to parallel that in the Christian life, the Bible says when you become a follower of Christ, a soldier for Christ, in one sense, you are already dead. You've given up your flesh to God. You've laid your flesh down. I am not going to live for my flesh anymore. I am, Galatians 2.20, crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live is not by the flesh, but to please God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's living by faith. This is the power of God in our lives. Look, did you need that good news? I hope you did. I did. Your sin problem is gone. You have an intimate, loving shepherd. You have the power of God in your life to live and fulfill as well. And you have the ultimate inspiration, which is to do it for the glory of God. Not by your flesh, but by the power of God. Let's focus on some good news. Let's say it all together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Encourage us with it. We want to do everything we do to your glory. We want to live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.